1: You are listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi-monthly podcast
2: featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener
1: discretion is advised.
0: I'm your host, Michael G. Moore. Please visit our website at inacitylikeyours.com. That's I-N-A-C-I-T-Y l-i-k-e-y-o-u-r-s dot c-o-m for links to our social media all popular podcast platforms and links of interest pertaining to all episodes. On this episode Brian, a pastor tells his story of how he grew to know God. He also discusses his take on the paranormal then Debbie and Mary, Bill Tris, Jennifer and finally Anthony each tell of their paranormal experiences. First here is Brian with his story
3: Well, hello, my name is Brian Hetzel. Uh, I'm here in Blue Springs, Missouri. I'm here to tell you about my story, about how I got to be where I'm at. So uh, I've been thinking about this question. What was the catalytic event that led to my faith journey or this journey that I'm on? I'm I'm a pastor. And, you know, I cannot think of one thing. I have really, there's been some significant things that have happened but there hasn't been anything that clearly has guided me. One thing that has guided me to this path. Um, I grew up in the Chicagoland area. I grew up into a family uh, of faith. I uh, I knew from a very early age that uh, God was present in my life. I don't know of a time when God wasn't. Our family, you know, wasn't. You know, zealots or anything like that. But you know, there was a sense of God's presence that was in our family. So anyway, um, I always just had uh, an appreciation for the underdog, the lost person, the person that was hurting. I, I, I I think that may have come out of me being maybe a little bit more stifled, probably as a kid. Uh, I wasn't protected. I just was a little stifled. Um, uh, We, I was fourth out of five. Everybody was zooming around and I was kind of more at home. And uh, I, my mother tells an interesting story to kind of illuminate this is that we never talked about the direction of my life, but my guess, my, my sister and my mother and my mother and my dad try to figure out the kids and. Uh, my mother's, my dad thought that my brother Michael would one day be a pastor. My dad's desire was to be a pastor, but he never told any of us that. It was always a secret behind-the-scenes thing. And uh, my mother told him, no, Brian will be the pastor. He's got all the traits. And uh, she said I would always go to people. And if someone was older, I, I'd go up to him or her that was hurting and say, hi, I'm Brian. And she just said he, he, Brian had the traits. So, But they didn't tell me any of this stuff until many years later, uh, till I was going to seminary. And then, uh, my life experience has just kind of been God's shown up. I, I can't say that my relationship with my dad was great, but, um, even in the times my, because I was different than my dad, a tool and eye worker, uh, when things were sketchy, I mean, God used that for me to get to know him. I would go on walkabouts with God and talk to God and he would kind of comfort me and give me direction. So anyway, uh, Then uh, in in the eighth grade, uh, uh, I had an encounter with God, and uh, it was pretty powerful. I don't know what happened, but I was crying, and uh, we were at a retreat, and I just had a sense of God's presence and calling, and I knew from that time that my path was that was going to be toward to be a pastor. I had not thought about that before, but I told my friends that. I told my mother that. I knew in seventh grade where I would go to college, where I'd go to seminary. I uh, thought I had a plan for my life that I was going to be a little white church somewhere in Colorado. Anyway, so I pursued that path. I'm not kind of, uh, and I love people. I, I, By the grace of God, uh, I had another close encounter, another retreat. It became clear to other people that that was my path. and. I was in a car accident that I should have been killed at. I I had a scratch on my ankle. And that's finally when my mom said, you're supposed to be a pastor. And I said, well, okay. You know, I think that, but we'll see what God has in store. So anyway, all these little things have happened. And then there's these big, rich moments that are occasional, like every four, five years where something dramatic would happen. But God has always been a close person in my life. And the reason why I went into the ministry, I think, uh, to serve people, uh, was, I mean, it was more to serve people than it was even this whole thing of God. I would just love people and want to help people. Uh, anyway, I went to seminary, uh, fast forwarding here. Then I left seminary because I felt it was a place uh, that, uh, even though they knew about God, they, they cut them apart into little pieces and, uh, in exegetical and, and I just felt like, uh. They weren't being led by God. They were dissecting God, not not trying to develop a relationship with you and God. So I left that for a couple of years, and I gave up my whole dream, and I was uh, I was in um, doing telephone sales of all things. This one guy wanted to in, uh, uh, interview me to see if I was fit for the position, and uh, I didn't know this, but a few months later the lady that uh, had gotten me the job, uh, he, she talked to that uh, interviewer and he said that this guy would be a perfect pastor. So really I think in uh, Jeremiah, talks about how God created him in the womb to be a prophet. And I think that's been the, the, the beauty of my life. But I, I gotta tell you this love for people and this love for God has such symmetry. But uh, what has troubled me and why, another reason why I left the seminary was that not only was they dissecting God rather than trying to develop a relationship with God, but the other thing was they had missed the fact that other people were hurting, and uh, they didn't really talk about that. It was all about believing the right thing, and I understand that, but they missed the personal side. And um, uh, I just uh, I have compassion for people, and I don't think of myself as anyone. Uh, that's better than anybody else. I think I'm just the same, if not maybe a step below them. Anyway, I I left the seminary over that because I was at a church service, and uh, on Christmas Eve, I remember this one. The church was full, and we were setting up chairs for all the people in the back I was helping. And I was concerned about them, and the pastor came back and yelled to set up more chairs. Uh, but what I was struck by was the fact that the pastor did not want to give up his seat in the sanctuary for for those people. And my thinking is, is I'd give up my seat, and I did, for other people to hear the story. So, anyway, this drive for people and uh, this recognition that I'm not better than anybody else, but everybody needs to know the hope and the heart that you get from knowing God. And so I've been on. I, I went back to seminary after seeing a few different ways of being uh, doing church, I made it my mission to try to reach not the church people, but the unchurched people. And so it's been my hope and heart is to try to show them in tact- tactile ways that uh, you know they're important, that God loves them, that um, you're a human and you have worth and value and God's got a purpose for your life. It's from the genesis of that that I've really changed radically, when I I went back to seminary, what my dreams were. My dreams were not to have a nice little Christian church. My change was simply to be the church. So, you know, I've had this pathway which is trying to love God and love the people of the earth that God created. But that love for people has really overtaken this idea of having a church that everybody's comfortable. Uh, and I really yearn for and uh, use my brokenness because boy, I'm not perfect, let me tell you. I do everything wrong. I get in trouble with my wife. Uh, I, I could be a better father. Uh, I could be a better teacher, could be a better pastor. Uh, but I try, try to take the brokenness of my life and and try to touch people with uh, in their brokenness with uh, the goodness of God. That's kind of how it's happened. But it's been one little step after another. And in the whole process, uh, God has always showed me the way. To, in little ways, he shows me. Here's another story I probably should insert. After I went back to seminary, I got called to, of all places, New Orleans, which you would love, right? And, uh, and it was so different than the sub- suburbs of Chicago, which, you know, are 30 years old. Everything there has to be at least 100 years old place that i got dropped into was in the fallberg fallberg mariner area of new orleans and uh in a, a church that was uh older than the synod that i'm in or the denomination i'm in people around me were quite different it was in a uh definitely a, a an alternate lifestyle kind of a place uh there was a lot of poor uh a lot of brokenness a lot of um ex-cons, drug abuse. And I lived actually in the midst of all that right by the church. And I just got to see God's people in a different way because some of the most interesting and the most um, uh, challenging people because they were different than me where I saw them ooze with the love of God uh, were really broken. And I have come to conclude that really it's our brokenness that God wants to use to reach the brokenness in other people. And it was that um, experience in New Orleans or Nolens, when the Yankee went down there and uh, actually stopped trying to devain the, the, the crawdads that I, uh, I really found uh, this whole new ministry. And my ministry today is so different. Uh, I've Got a contemporary church, uh, in a, it's in a suburb, but it's got a dental center, to help people that don't have any uh, means to pay for their dental care. And I don't do things by the book, I do them by the person. And uh, we don't reach uh, the comfortable Christian, we reach the one that's broken and wants to be hugged. And uh, so it's been a radical transformation from where I was, but I I can't say there's any catalytic event. You know, I can see it in my, my family origin, I can see it in the seminary and what it wasn't, And I can see it in that time in New Orleans where those were big turning points, but they all fill the line of God getting me to the place where my mother always knew I would be. And I I gotta tell you, I'm the most fulfilled person. I'm not the best person. I don't make the most money. That's never what it's about for me, but I do tell you, I got a sense of purpose. I just wanna love people. And and that's kind of the story of, of Brian Hetzel getting from point A to point Z. Let me
0: ask you something. This is going to be a weird question, I'm sure. Uh, What are your thoughts on the paranormal?
3: Well, you know, I I can't talk about, well, I mean, okay, I'll say two things. I'll say the Bible talks about, in Ephesians 6, talks about how there is this whole other world that uh, we don't see that's demonic. There's a spiritual realm. It talks about that, and it's governed by, uh, you know, by uh, the fallen angels uh, of heaven. And we see glimmers of these stories in uh, King Saul and him doing, uh, trying to conjure up the dead and Samuel coming back. So there are stories, and that we believe that is actually the scriptures say is, there's a lot of power in there. And in Daniel, it talks about how Daniel tried to contact God and things got in the way of the message of God for weeks. So anyway, the Bible affirms that there is a spiritual realm that's pretty big. Now, phenomena, you know, we see the in the gospels, it talks about demonic. And some some people just say those are people with mental disorders, but some of the things they describe are are things that are bigger than that. So, I I believe there is a realm that's there, but I believe God's over that realm. God doesn't show us the totality of that realm. We're earthbound creatures and we're supposed to live in do, the domain that's there. But um, I, I, I believe there is something like that. And I do believe that we're not just physical, we're spiritual, we're, we're soul and body. And so there's that dimension to us too, and I do believe that we live on. So I, I don't know if that answers your question.
0: Just to give the Christian view of paranormal and uh, also, your, well, first of all, your, your take on religion and then also the, the paranormal...
3: Well, I got a, I got another story on that too. I got a couple stories. So I, uh, when I left seminary, I tried different. I tried out different churches and one of the churches where I hung my hat for a long time, about a year, a little bit more. My brother's still in that church, uh, which I think has gone way off sides. But, uh, where, there was a guy sitting next to me that went through deliverance as he did that. Uh, uh, he had, uh, Uh, an encounter, uh, a physical manifestation as he was going through this, where he was trying to ask God to take out some of the things that are, were in his life. uh, I I just, it's kind of gross, but uh, he had this, uh, he was crying and then he had uh, just a a, a profuse amount of snot come out of his nose. It was, it was disgusting. And there was an entrenched sin in his life. He said that he thought it was God releasing something in him, but it was a physical manifestation in my mind that was unusual. Uh, some would explain it away as just uh, someone putting a thought in, in, in your body, kind of bending to that thought. Uh, or it could have been more of the de- demonic kind of nature of deliverance that is talked about in the Gospels. Another time I, I did it when I was at this church, someone asked me to help out with a deliverance, and it was a homeless person. So I prayed, uh, I was reading from the Gospel of Mark, uh, this the 16th chapter and the second half of the 16th chapter. It talks about God's the power of God over a Lot of things and uh, I was reading that and there were literally she was of, I'd say about 140 pounds When we started doing this ministry where she said she believed in in Christ and she wanted deliverance and we we prayed for her and we uh, we had two guys, about 300 pounds, trying to hold her down. They couldn't, and she, her eyes sort of went slanted, and she tried to rip Mark 16, what I was reading, tried to rip the page out of my Bible. And then afterwards, after the, the ministry was over, and I wasn't leading this by any, they just asked me to read a scripture, uh, and I was new to the church. After this, her countenance completely changed. She was calm and and more herself than ever before. So there's another example of the paranormal from my experiential pool.
1: Hi, I'm Deborah Allen, and I'm from Shreveport, Louisiana.
4: And I'm uh, Mary, known mostly as Cat Food Mary, and I'm from Keechaw, Louisiana, which is
1: outside of Shreveport. And so Mary and I have experienced several things that happened in a house that, that I owned first with my first husband. And then I divorced him and my second husband bought the same house. So I ended up there again. And I was like, no, I'm not even going in that house, much less live there. You know, it'll it'll hex our marriage if, we, if I live in this house again, because the first marriage ended a divorce in that house, so I already had bad feelings about it, but he he was thought he was doing a good thing by buying that house for the wedding present, and it wasn't a good thing
4: yeah it was a it was a pretty uh, uh I remember we went in there to get every a whole bunch of us it was me debbie uh, current that current husband and uh it was somebody else it seems like there was a couple other people there who I don't remember. Uh, And we were going to spend the night so we could get started in the morning and the second you walked through the door I mean there was just this tension uh, Or this you know just this kind of gloomy tension that you just couldn't really
1: clammy wetness Yeah, and
4: you couldn't really pinpoint it in the way and you felt really antsy like you know something somebody something's there somebody's watching you and we were all freaked out just
1: enough that all of us spent the night down in the front hall next to the front door on the mattress. <laughs> and what she's talking about is when the second time around, because we were, we yeah. were renovating the house uh, because it needed a lot of work done the second time around. It, but the first time around, um, I, I was actually pregnant with Ashley. Yes. And, and I just met you. That was the first yeah. time I met you.
4: I was with Bart. And uh, and I remember we had been in there for a while. All the boys were kids. Oh, babies. Michael Mike was, was like five.
1: No, he was no. 12. Well, the first time. The first time when he was 12. Okay, yeah, okay. And you were
4: pregnant with Ashley. And uh, and then Debbie said something just kind of offhanded about something about the, the house was haunted. And I was like, Really? And she said, well, yeah, the kids always said they see this little girl or something in the upstairs bedroom. And so I was like, can I go up there? And she was just like, well, yeah, I'll go up there. And then I went up there. Of course, nothing happened. But I could tell it didn't feel right. And I didn't turn the lights on. I just went in there for a few minutes. And then I came downstairs. And then I was just like, well, yeah, there's something going on up there. I don't <laughs> know what it is. I didn't see anything. But it doesn't feel right. And then we, you know, and then that that was that. And uh
1: and Micah, he, he the bedroom, the worst bedroom of all, the green room. Which was the, that, that was room. the green room. It was that room. <laughs> when he was the first time when we were living there, and he was small, he would wake up and he would see something hovering over him, and he would run into our bedroom. And finally, we just said, "You know what? If you want to sleep on the sofa downstairs, you can." So he was about eleven, something like that. So he just started sleeping downstairs. Yeah,
4: I don't blame him.
1: <laughs> and I was pregnant with Ashley, and. The bed faced the door, and the, you could see the hallway from my bed because the door was open, and I was woken up in the middle of the night. I was about eight months pregnant, and I sat up, and there was this woman hovering in the hallway looking towards the bedroom Micah slept in, and she slowly turned her head and looked at me. And I was like, Mike, Mike, wake up. There's somebody in the hallway, and, and when I, he finally woke up, there's nothing there so the, it was the most intense probably at that point point. and at first when I came back the second time being married to Speedy you know you could feel something going on but the longer we were there the worse it got yeah and, and, and I think from the
4: time when you were there the first time and then the second time was Speedy something else happened that I right. think intensified it because I don't think it was as bad when you were in there, the house the first time. Plus we were, well, we were working on the house and I'd gone upstairs and I just happened for some reason to look at the wall in the green room and the wall where the staircase was and there was a window there. And then I was just like, and I think I grabbed Debbie and Speedy and I said, did you notice the wall in the bedroom is like closer to the door than the wall where the staircase is? Like it looks like there's about a foot, foot and a half difference between the two. And, and then she was like, well, you know, there used to be a window on that wall. And she said, when we were in here and stuff, and, but we didn't tear the wall. <laughs> right. We, but, you know, it was, uh, we just found it, you know, a little peculiar that, you, you know, there's suddenly there was a wall there and the outer wall and where the bedroom wall was, there had to have been at least a foot to a foot and a half difference between where the two spaces were. Right. And, uh, so that always kind of gave us caution
1: and you were painting the green room to a really bright green. After Speedy had uh, knocked the
4: bucket of paint over, <laughs> dark green, dark bright green, on a white green carpet. Yeah. And he came in there, oh, because I'd just gotten through painting the other bedroom, the yellow one, the yellow bedroom. Right. You know, the, big, the big yellow, the bigger yellow bedroom. And he came in there, and I was just about finished, He's like, oh. He's like, I I I kinda screwed up and I was like, what? And he was like, I knocked the bucket of paint over <laughs> and I was just like I was like, really speedy. I said, <laughs> I said, could you could you like clean that up? And he said, I was hoping maybe you could just finish painting the room. And I went in there and the paint roller, it was just like zigzags <laughs> It was everywhere and I was like, dude, I'll I'll finish painting the room. I said, Y'all just do it gonna have to rip the carpet out. I said, There's yeah. no getting this and green we did. paint out of there and so
1: um that ashtray remember it sitting yeah under? that's what I'm, I'm gonna oh, yeah. get to
4: that so i've been in there painting the room and it was a much smaller bedroom than the other one i had painted so it wasn't taking me long but i stopped to eat lunch and, and i made myself a sandwich downstairs came back upstairs and i had a, there was a black and white tv up there it was sitting on the floor and i sat and was watching tv while i ate and then i got done and i had smoked a cigarette and it was a round ashtray not a real tall one But it was a nice, flat-bottomed ashtray, you know, about a little bigger than the size of a beer can in circumference. And I stood up, and I sat it on the back of the dresser, in the center of the back of the dresser. I turned around to do something. I heard a noise. I turned around, and the ashtray was on its side, and it rolled off the top of the (laughs) dresser. And I was just like okay, let me get the fuck up out of here, get this thing finished, and there, I'm going to get out of here. And if, there ever was
0: a, if there ever was a clue, <laughs> that's, that's exactly. certainly one of them. I'm going
4: to get the fuck up out of here, get this thing finished, get out of here. And uh, and there was also, when, when she moved, there was a picture of Jesus on the wall.
1: Yeah.
4: And it was the, the one uh, doing the hand, what is the hand gesture he's doing? Yeah. In, the, the, the hand gesture. And he's got the sacred heart thing right. going on. And me and Debbie started coming to realize that. And it was like, every time we'd walk by the room, we'd swear that the picture of Jesus was, his face was pointing That's in a right. different
1: direction. Every time we Opposite went in The direction. I, I just remember the story you
4: bring in. And, and so we decided, okay, we're going to videotape the room. <laughs> yes. So, and so we set the video, got the tripod. I think it was Bart's camera. Yeah. And, uh, We set up the tripod, put the camera in there. I think the the tape on there was six to eight hours. Put the thing in there, and then we just let it go. We shut the door. We put it in there, pointed at the picture of Jesus, and there was a window (laughs) which faced the front of the house, and we just let it go. I think we either went out or I went home, but nobody was there the right. majority of the camera being set up in there. And you can see traffic occasionally and stuff going by the window, you know, the lights reflecting in and stuff. But unfortunately, after reviewing the tape several times, I think it was six hours worth, not eight, but six, Jesus, they pointed in the same direction the whole time. So it was just like, <laughs> well, damn. <laughs> so so no, and nothing else, because, you know, we were looking for any anything, you know, uh, that might... You know, indicate something other than you know, ashtrays and stuff going off in there. You know, but n- nothing ever happened on the tape. So we, so that was a bump So we, you know, we, we were like, well, damn. Yeah. And uh, it's it's just, it, and then there was, and everything you said, and you had told me that that was the room because there was a house across the street that was also because Debbie's also said that the, the street, the block used to complain about hauntings
1: well that's just it i had a psychic and a priest come to that house mm-hmm. they pull up in front of the house and they were going to get out and uh you know clean it or whatever they look they sat there in the car i saw them out there and i would start to open the door and they just drove off oh, yeah. so i was like i caught got them you know they fi- I finally got them on the phone at the psychic and i'm like I saw y'all pulled up. She goes, there's no way we were going to come in the house. We picked up the energy from the street. So we hired another psychic and she's the one that came in and did the whole reading on it. She said there used to be a vortex of something in the house next door. And there would be, there was a vortex down the street, but she came in the house and said that she felt two entities in there. One was a, um, older woman and a child and that made sense to me because that we saw when Ashley had a little balloons helium balloons they would just start bopping through the house like someone was skipping with them right and, and so and, they would go through room to room to room in a circle
4: she, your boys saying that they would see a little girl yeah because you told me they always said they saw a little girl and then you also told me because that was the barn used to be there. Right. And the original tree was still sitting there. Right. To the house across the street. And the back story
1: is the little girl lived in this um, house on Fairfield because Dalzell was a side street so the there was a big house on Fairfield and then our house was the barn. The little girl was deathly afraid of men and a man knocked on the door and she ran out of the house through the back door and came up in the barn and went up to the top stable the and fell, the loft, and fell into her death. Right.
4: That's what she so, told me. So, right.
1: So I don't know who the older woman was, but that's what we ascertained the little girl to be. So, yeah, it was something. Finally, with that second psychic, she, she worked to drive the the force or whatever it was yeah. out of there and it went up in the attic and she goes i've got it cornered in the corner of the attic but speedy could see it too i remember yeah you and ashley, could see it. yeah ashley could see it yeah she'd get a stomach ache and then she'd look over she'd turn or look whichever direction she goes there it is mom yeah but she always had a stomach ache first that's right. when she knew it was coming so yeah that house was really scary and i and i, I credit it for for my two divorces because the energy was so bad and there was so much conflict, you know, just you could, in the air, it was such a dank, cold. You could hardly breathe, Yeah, and you know, feeling it upstairs. Right,
4: and there was one time we were going to, because um, I had it a tux, what was it? It was the- um, um, Apollo Ball. That was it, the Apollo Ball. Now, we'd had the house finished, had all the rooms repainted, and everything was done. Speedy was absolved of ever-touching paint or glass. <laughs> <laughs> because he couldn't paint and he broke every sheet of glass he ever touched. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, I'd rented a tux. Debbie was all dressed up. We were getting ready to go, and Debbie wanted to take some pictures. And this was just an old uh, instamatic of some type or, or kind. Yeah, of, Polaroid or something. Or, yeah, or Polaroid. Yeah. I can't remember if it was instant or not. But I was smoking a cigarette, and uh, until and, and when got the pictures. No, it was regular pictures because we got mm-hmm. the pictures back. That's right. That's right. We got the pictures back, and then you could see this white, well, it looked like cigarette smoke, you know, cutting through some of the pictures, one of me and the one I took. Right the kid, in front of us. Right in front of us. And uh, and then Debbie said, oh, no, I think that must be the ghost. And I said, no, I was smoking a cigarette. I was sitting there. She goes, no, that was on the other side of the room. So-, yeah. <laughs> so it was not the smoke from my cigarette. So we actually did manage without trying to capture something that was, that what was in the house at that time. So we were, um, it, it seems like that picture should be on Facebook somewhere. I, I still
1: have the picture in a pho- photo album.
4: You need to post that yeah. one. So, yeah. Uh, because I look really good in a tux. But <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you could see you could see it in, in the picture. It was it's right there. But I, you know, at the time I thought it was until Debbie pointed out to me the cigarette was on the other side of the room, so it couldn't have been the cigarette. Because it
1: smoke. was sit, standing right in front of you. Yeah, it was right. You in could front tell of it wasn't on a table or you know, you know, you can you can tell that there's where the smoke would have been originating. But this was hovering just in the air in front of you, so there was no way yeah. that it was.
4: So yeah, she she was the one who made me realize it was not my cigarette. <laughs> and I was like, oh great. So And I mean, and it was just like and didn't didn't uh the boys didn't the house catch on fire briefly? Like that's a different house. That was a different house? Okay, <laughs> never mind. Uh what else happened in that place? The tension, um
0: the tension in the house was more of a an oppressive feeling, like there's something weighing on you.
1: Yeah. yeah, Mike. Michael, do you have? Do you remember what it was like in that house at all? I mean, you were there all the time too.
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember the layout and everything, but I don't yeah. recall ever feeling tense or feeling that there's supernatural stuff there. I remember you telling me about it, and I was being yeah. intrigued, uh, but nothing really ever happened because I was there during the day. Was most of this at right. night, or is this at all time of the day?
4: Oh, all no, times a day, twenty four seven. I yeah. mean, there would be times it would seem a little less like if we were, you know, partying, having a good time, probably just not paying attention to things much. But you know, in so more sto- sober states, uh, <laughs> um, it, it 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 was very noticeable. Usually, about the second you walked in the door, because it's like I said, the first time we went in there after you'd bought it, the second time, uh, it it was just an immediate just this this isn't right, this is very heavy, this is very tense, uh, like something's in here, and, it, you know, you, you, you kind of got the feeling almost like, you know, they didn't really want you in there, but not enough to get us out of there, obviously, because
1: you were in that house for a few years. It, it was a couple of years ago, and this happened, yeah, this happened, what, 15,
4: oh, this 20 was, years ago? Oh,
1: this was, well, a couple of years ago, I was driving down the street, and I saw this lady in the yard, and so Daniel was, you know, was with me, and I'm like, I've got to talk to this woman. Yeah. See so, what you know. So we stopped and I get out and I'm like, Hi, I used to live in this house. And she goes, You did? And I'm like, Yeah, it's a great house. Da da da. And I go, So, what do you think about the ghost? Well, she goes, I leave her alone and she leaves me alone. I'm like, <laughs> Let me tell you what the psychic told me about this ghost. That you know, that there was it's a little girl, there's an older woman there. You know, and I told her the whole story about it. She goes, "Well, that makes sense because it, it just seemed like a little girl was in this house." I'm like, "Yep." So it wasn't just us. I mean, the the new owner yeah. picked up on it too. So, and 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 there and you said
4: in, when you'd gotten the psychic and and stuff, but that there was other people on the block and the block over right. that also would have ghost-like experiences because a very long time ago it was all one property right so it all belonged to one person or one family right and uh and that wasn't the only house that you know was experiencing things on that block or in that couple of block area of the house was on because it used to be a farm or something
1: right and
4: uh so it wasn't just just that house but it was actually the entire couple of block area or so surrounding the house that also people would said that they had uh, experiences and stuff in their houses and stuff like that. And there was the one about the bees. Some lady had some bees or something in their house. Oh, there
1: was a bees got in the wall. Yeah. There was a, a, a swarm in the wall and she didn't do anything about it. I can't remember. Was what it that in was that going. house? Yeah. Or, yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> but anyone old enough to remember the Satori house, satori house uh was the house where all those little condos were built Mm -hmm. between my house on Dalzell and fairfield and the satori house is where people would go if they were high and they had to come down and all this stuff that house was very haunted and it was a judge's house Mm -hmm. and the woman's portrait was over the fireplace and her name was greta and greta everybody goes oh my god you look just like greta I mean, she and I could have been family. We looked so much alike. Oh wow, so it was just so strange and that I kept going back to this place about every ten years from when I was like in you know late teens and then in my twenties and then my thirties, you know I kept coming back to that same place mm-hmm. like I was being drawn there or whatever. Yeah. But uh Okay, you're not
4: allowed to go back there. <laughs> I'm not
1: going back there. I was away to the new Bye. owner.
4: <laughs> I was telling uh when I was working at the Philly Center, um I was telling Reginald uh about the house at the time. That was back in the mid late nineties. And he was sitting there listening, I was talking about the ashtray rolling off of the, the dresser and stuff and he and stuff and he just kinda looked at me and he was just like what is it about you white people? He says, like, I was going to find out what the hell is it. What's going on here? i got to investigate this. He said, and us black people are just going to be, i going to get the fuck up out of here.
1: That <laughs> 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 is so wretchy. <laughs> yeah.
0: did, did, did y'all also, do any research on the house? I mean, you said some things about yes. it, like, like it, yes. it was the yes. land that the barn was on before?
1: Yes. Yes. And after the psychic, we went, down to the clerk of court and found the owners of, the you know, 1900s and it all fit. I mean, yeah. it, there was a death, a child's death there, all that fit into her story. So, you know, I figured that was documentation that, that those people had lived there. It was all one property because around, it was built in 1901. The house but was
4: just at the turn of the century. Right. Century, right. So.
1: so, you know, that's, you know,
0: your house was built then? Not the, not the original house, but your house that was that was once the barn.
1: That no, was, the original you know? house was on the corner of Dowzell and Fairfield, and it still should be there, isn't it? No, it's those little condo things now. Oh, they tore that big yeah. house
4: down a while. That was the Tory house, okay.
1: But that where the house where I'm now was the barn to that big right. property, and the tree, the same tree, was still there, right,
4: where the girl died. So, right. the same
1: tree was in front of
4: Debbie's house. It was the exact same tree. So, that was an ancient tree sitting there, and it was still original right. to the whole nine yards. So, Amazing.
1: And another weird story is when Micah was about five, he decided he was going to climb that tree, and a squirrel came and bit him on the finger. And squirrels run when you know, but this squirrel got in and just bit him. And we thought he had. It get rabies shots and all that stuff. Oh, he was probably
4: going to be all right, but yeah, he, he might have
1: had babies or something. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just it, weird and crazy stuff like that happened,
4: you know, just yeah. the weirdest stuff. And you had that dog, dog took off. That, oh yeah, that the hunter, a, the, it
1: was a... Um, Malamute? It was a Siberian husky. husky. And the, the dog just left, you know, it was just like... It,
4: it, it, was, it was always extremely agitated, not yes. in a mean way, but in a hyper, hyper hyper excited way. Now, I don't know if that's, you know, common to them, but it, it seemed like the dog was always reacting, the puppy was that's reacting right. to something, and then it just took off and nobody ever saw it again. I so. did
1: see a, a Siberian Husky at a house on Fairfield about half a block down, so that whoever, that woman who was in that yard probably found him and took him in. Took him in. Because it was, how many Siberian Huskies are going to be in the same block? Not yeah. so many, so.
4: <laughs> They're not really doing real well in our weather down here.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, so I think that I think that he, you know, found his home, you
4: know, away from the yeah. was like the place that was driving I think driving him crazy. Yeah. So, but uh, and you had some cats in there, but the cats seemed to be all right. Yeah, so, the cats
1: were cool. Cats were cool. That makes sense too. Yeah.
0: So. So, did what you guys experienced it change your minds on the paranormal? Did, were you a believer before?
4: Oh, I was a believer before. Yeah, I was too. But it, you know, experiencing it as to just hearing people talk about it was two completely different things. <laughs> so.
1: I think that I'm I'm very material person. That if I don't, you know, you have to prove things to me. But that kind of thing kind of changes you when you don't have an explanation for right. it. Right, things and that you just can't explain. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not religious. I, you know, I don't do any of that stuff. But but I think there's some energy. Force that we don't see that that could cause those things. Yeah. Even if it was the energy of a little girl that was still there, or whatever, or the older woman, or the older woman, you know, that that it can be manipulated. You know? Which in, in, yeah.
4: Which and and yeah, I definitely agree with that. Which what you what you don't know is uh, I've had an experience in my grandmother's house. Yeah. But it wasn't a human. It was Anna and Sean's cat. uh oh, wow. Gruber. Uh Reuber was black and white, like. Diddy, in fact, it was probably Diddy's brother because he came from Houston, too. This is just a couple of months ago, and I saw and I could all I could see was the back end of the cat, and it was a black and white cat, and I knew it couldn't have been Diddy because I was with Diddy when I had to have her put down. Uh, Ruber was alone. He was at the vet's office, and Anna and Sean wouldn't go up there and uh, to be with him, and he was already asleep from exploratory surgery, and they had him put down. I saw Ruber in the house. Oh,
1: wow. I see stuff in this house.
4: And then uh, Anna, just last month, she said she knew I wasn't in the house. I was off running errands. She was in there doing laundry or something. She was in the dining room, and uh, she saw someone walk from the TV in the den towards the old office, Peepaw's old office, my grandfather. And I, I said, well, what did they look like? And she said, white button-down shirt, short sleeves, pocket protector, eyeglasses. And I said, that was people. And she said yeah. he was glowing.
1: Yeah.
4: And I've never been, and I've, you know, I've lived next in, in next door to that house all my life. I've had other people say
1: they think it's haunted. <laughs> I felt something in the house, but it was, wasn't negative at all. And it I've was always like a... told them, I said,
4: well, if it's anybody, it's relatives because we've had a lot of relatives die <laughs> in that house. Yeah. There's some ants that I never knew died in that house. Somebody else died in that house. And my grandfather passed away in the house. And more more recently, my grandmother passed away in the house. So, but I said, I wouldn't worry about it. I said, they're just relatives. They're yeah. just, they're just visiting.
1: So, <laughs> the house I'm in now here on Gilbert, uh, I have cats and the cats will all be asleep in here. And all of a sudden they'll all wake up and look towards the right or the left. They see something I don't yeah. see. So, uh,
4: yeah. I noticed that with Roz when he's in the den with me he'll be looking up at something like you know he's watching something he's seeing something and I'm looking around and I was like uh, you probably are seeing something but I can't see it honey
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, and then I have to wonder because this has happened to me in so many places that maybe I you know I carry something with me from place to place oh. it's very it's very vivid memories this is yeah. something that's not going to just fade away like a lot of things did. And a lot of the
4: times, you know, things wouldn't physically happen in the house. It was just that constant general tension, heaviness, yes. feeling like somebody's watching you and and stuff. It, it was more of a constant in that manner than actual physical manifestations right. of any type. Well, so, that alone
0: would depress you.
4: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Except when I was praying with Ashley and that woman was hovering in the air. so.
5: My name is Bill Foster. I'm calling from Duster, Texas, which is just south of Gorman, Texas, and west of Delion, Texas. And I'd like to tell you a quick story about my one and only paranormal experience. And to start off with, I, I do believe there are spirits in this world, and they do come and visit you, uh, whether you see them or not, or if they're in the, uh, just a feeling of somebody there, or uh, whether it's your, your, your ancestors has passed away or whatever, I, I've always felt that, and I've never seen any, but I've always felt that. But this last spring, I had my grandkids over here at the vineyard, and so out of, and I'm in the golf cart. Nothing made me. For some reason, I looked behind me, and when I looked behind me, there was a a, a for sure ghost right there. Uh, she was. There was a little girl, probably six years old, dark headed in a like a white nightgown maybe a burial dress and she was floating uh you know four or five foot off the ground the kids didn't see it because they were facing the other direction i quickly turned back away and then looked back and it was gone um, it gave me the willy-jillies i guarantee you and so uh, i kept it to myself quite a bit and i did do some research and trying to find out because we just moved this area back in october and so I started trying to find maybe uh, in the cemeteries, maybe somebody had passed away uh, at that age. And I did find some, but of course no pictures. So I don't know if she was one of them or not, but, uh, uh, it really did. I mean, it, 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 really did. It was so focused, you know, and there's always the ones that you wake up and you're dreaming, you see something and you're like, oh, wow, that was a vivid dream or really I saw something, then I, then it, uh, went away. Uh, you know, one time I woke up when I was a kid and I swear to this day I saw Santa Claus. You know, and everybody says I'm crazy, but I know what I saw then. Uh, I don't, I'm don't, i not considering Santa Claus a paranormal experience compared to the little girl that was floating in the air. But I can tell you back then when I saw Santa Claus, I didn't even think about it until I, I was calling in. When I saw Santa Claus that night, I could tell you exactly what he was wearing. It wasn't just the normal. Uh, I could tell you the shade of the clothes, you know, his outfit how tall he was, how it was more so real that it was unbelievable. And it, you know, it wasn't a dream or anything. I believe it was, it was the, you know, some kind of paranormal, I guess you could say Santa Claus there. But to me that that's a good thing to to have as a child. But this other one, when I saw the girl floating in the air, that one scared the fool out of me and and I'm 57 years old and, and that really did, uh, Bothered me for a few days, and and hadn't seen her since, and don't know why she was there. Whether she was just there visiting, maybe she's from this area, maybe she heard the kids playing and want to come out and see what the kids were doing. I don't know, but uh, she was there, and I will swear the day uh, I go to my grave that she was there. It wasn't just a flash of of a light or anything like that. It was, you know, a good three seconds of me looking straight at her, and then I don't. I should have kept looking at her. But I turned around to see where I was going on the golf cart, turned back, and she was gone. So that's my my paranormal stories that that I've had here in in, uh, Duster, Texas.
6: Hi, this is Tris Marie, and uh, I'm calling from Branson, Missouri. And I had a little experience. Uh, it was quite a few years back. Let's see, I think it was about actually probably 15 years ago. Um, so strange. And actually, I haven't really told anybody about it. <laughs> so um, I feel this is very exposing for me. But um, so I was I was sleeping one night. And, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night with a black cat jumping on my chest and, and it, it just, um, it took the wind out of me. And I don't own a cat. It wasn't, there was no cat in the room, but I had this black cat just like jump on my chest. And, um, it freaked me out, but I thought it's just a dream. I went back to sleep. But when I got up the next day, um, I got, gravely ill I got so sick I had to be in the hospital for about a week Um, I I couldn't I couldn't eat for like two weeks and um, so I just thought it was very interesting Um, uh, personally for me I think it was something paranormal I you know not everybody might believe that but I do believe that it was something um, and let's see I'm sure I have another story (laughs) give me a second and there's there's other little things that I've had uh, when when I was younger, when I was a when I was a teenager, I I would be laying in bed, you know the the uh, lights are off, and I would see this black figure standing by my bed, and um when well my eyes would be closed, and when I opened my eyes, I would see it, but it was because I heard it say my name, you know. Have you ever have you ever had that happen?
0: I hear about it like, all heard, the time. <laughs>
6: Really? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I've heard it's people weird. say that. Yeah, it's, especially it's if so... I'm
0: listening to music, I'll hear my name in the music. It's kind of strange.
6: Oh, that is freaky.
0: That was super freaky.
6: Yeah, so it's like kind of brief, little, creepy things that I've experienced. You know, um but gosh, just those things that it's just enough to give you shivers. <laughs>
2: This is Jennifer Nash, and I'm calling from the City of Angels, Los Angeles, California. I don't think I have a a scary ghost story at all. Um, Any paranormal things that have happened to me are more like, or psychic things have been more like, um, you know, and and I fought this sort of side of myself for a long time because I was so freaked out by how my mom ended up. But, um, you know, things like, I have this weird thing. I always know who's on the other side of the phone before it even rings. I always know who it is. Sometimes I can even feel an email coming in. So it's just a little thing, but then like when my brother died in a car accident, I woke up in the middle of the night right when it was happening, right when the actual accident was happening. I was in Los Angeles and they were having the accident in Clovis, New Mexico. I woke up in a cold sweat and screaming. And sure enough, Few hours later, the phone rang, and I, I just knew it. You know that whole thing where your blood just runs cold, and I picked up the phone, and before anybody could say anything, I was just crying and saying no, no. I knew it. I just knew it. I, I dreamt it at the exact same time. Wow. So things like that. But you know, that's not like I don't think it's really Halloweeny.
0: <laughs> oh no no, that's good actually. It's it's interesting.
7: Um, hello, guys. My name is Anthony Anthem, a.k.a. Black Fabio, a.k.a. The Midnight Marauder, a.k.a. Mr. A.k.a., also known as Anthony Williams. And um, today, let's talk about the paranormal. Um, I would say one of the weirdest things has ever happened, and this actually happened a couple years back, actually. Okay, so... A friend of mine is a photographer he's been doing photography for years he needed some help he wanted me to be an assistant and kind of help out and i was like cool he was like man i'll pay you 20 bucks you come help me out and kind of help me roll to different places whatever and i was just like cool i'm not doing anything today it's my day off sure so we go pick up his friend um And she's going to model a couple clothes and ideas that he has because he also makes clothing. So, it's me, him, his friend, and another girl. And so, we're finding, you know, kind of older buildings to go into to, you know, take these photos. I realized one of the stops we're at is an old paper press company. uh, Which is completely just destroyed. I mean, there's bats flying in it there's snakes crawling around, rats crawling around all types of stuff going on in this building and we are like you know this that should be good, because it was October anyway and she wanted to do more of like a Halloween themed photo shoot so I was like okay so after we climb a fence, cross over a couple things hop, skip, and a jump not try to step on anything that's going to kill us yada 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 I hear a... I'm like, what the heck is that? I'm like, what is going on? And then one of the girls like, oh, wait a minute, this is the, um, this is the uh, printing press company. And I was like, yeah, what about it? She tells me... So basically, the story was that the guy that owned the place had a daughter. She was only like eight years old at the time or something like that. They had... Uh, They had a a take-your-kid-to-work day... or something like that... and... so she was with him... and started wandering off... Um, apparently she was playing by the steps... where the office was upstairs... or whatever... and she fell... onto one of the printing machines... and died horribly... like... blood was everywhere... it was a mess... it was actually one of the reasons... why the company stopped because then the owner went to a depression psych ward. Like it was a whole like dark ordeal. I'm like, well, that's depressing. And also Yeah. I could I could see this place being haunted. Because I've always believed in the supernatural. I mean sure there's such thing as spirits. And you just don't mess with them. whatever. So as as we're um as we're continuing to walk, a bat like fly by my ear just like Maybe like by an inch. I'm like, what the hell was that? And and they were like, oh, that must have been a bat. I'm just like, what am I doing in this Scooby-Doo situation? So does that make me shaggy then your Fred and your Velma and Daphne or whatever? They're like, shut up and come on. So we keep walking or whatever. Then all of a sudden... We get to the um, we get to where the old garden is because it used to be like a little fountain garden area in the building for like you know people to take a break during like spring and summer. So I get a phone call, so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna step away for a second to take a phone call. As I walk uh, walk through where I came from, um, where we came from to take this phone call, all of a sudden, just like a big piece of rock just drops in front of me like, just barely missing me in my head. I'm like, okay, that's weird. It's a good thing I wasn't there or else I would have been dead. So I'm on this phone call. I was like, dude, I think I almost died or whatever. Like, what do you know what mean. Just like a giant piece of rock fell out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden I hear, oh, 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 oh. I'm like, what the hell was that? I'm like, Dude, smooth, cause that was oh that's my friend's name. It's like smooth. Quit playing. Like what are you talking about? I'm out here. Like, dude, somebody's making that noise. Whoever's doing it, stop, man. Like, shut the F up, blah blah blah. Like this ain't funny. And all of a sudden the noise is just like <sighs> Do y'all hear that? Hear what? I'm like, you know what screw that I'm just gonna go back outside because this is getting weird. It's getting freaky. I was like, yeah, I don't hear the sound at all. It's like also a freaking piece of rock almost hit me in the head. But how big was it? It was a pretty big piece of rock. I think that would've killed him. I was like, well then stay outside, so that way, you know, you know you know what they say about scary movies, you never split up, right? I'm like, shut up. I'm just standing there, um, kinda helping them out, trying to gather, you know, photos or whatever and We finish, and then we decide to go ahead and just, you know, walk out and get back to the car. Then all of a sudden, we hear this huge slam just go, boom! Like, something huge must have fallen over or something like that. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was like an old piece of machinery. It was like an old pipe or something like that just slammed. And we're just like, what the hell was that? And we're just like, we're looking around. We can't find anything. We don't know what it was. All we see is just like a whole bunch of bats like fly out. Like and we're just like okay, something ain't right, man. We need to get out of here. Then all of a sudden we just hear the boom again. And we're like, Okay. Let's get the hell up out of here and let's hurry. So we're just running, we're running. I'm like, mind you, I am I am like four hundred plus pounds, okay? I was running like I was a um like I was a light heavyweight, just ready for training, going for my inner Rocky, just out the building, okay? I'm like the heaviest person in there, and I'm out running them. That's how freaked out I was. I'm like, okay, women and children first. Now forget that. We're about it's survival to fittest. Not my proudest moment, by the way. But <laughs> I'm not usually like that, but at that moment, I was freaked, man. <laughs> so I was running. All of a sudden, one of the girls tripped. I was like, oh, dang. It's always somebody that trips. So I ran back for her. I grabbed her. She twisted her ankle. So I got to carry her, and we're just running out of the building, freaking out. My dude's like, what the heck is that? Oh, my God. I'm like, quit sounding like a, like a punk. <laughs> it was like, I told you something wasn't right about this building. And we make it to the car. The girls are crying. My boy lights up is lights up a cigarette and then he started chain smoking for about 10 minutes. And I'm like go into the uh let's go into the abandoned printing press you said. It'll be great for the pictures you said. It'll be fun you said. We got two girl cute girls you said. This is going to be a great experience you said. How great was it now? He didn't talk to me for two weeks after that cuz I I I, I roasted him for like the next 10 minutes. It was just weird because like all this stuff was like falling apart in the building. So it was just like something did not want us there. Like seriously, the size of the rock that almost hit me in the head was a good piece of chunk. It was a good piece of concrete. I don't know where that came from, man. Thank you.